Father, thank you for the opportunity of being here and just grateful for your grace and the provisions you've given us um, out of your goodness to be able to be here and all the things that you protected us from and that you got us through. You're such a good God, and we're so thankful for that. Just ask that you would give us clarity of mind as we consider these things from your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we've been talking about Christology, uh, which is looking at the Son from eternity to eternity, and we're landing now in the Gospels, and we've been looking at the fact that the Son (coughs) claimed, and others claimed, that he was God. I was looking at a video today that someone sent me from, um, some guy was talking to Ben Shapiro, which is a Jewish guy, right? (coughs) About uh, the fact that Jesus claimed to be God. (coughs) And so it's interesting when you see a Jewish perspective on the Gospels and uh, the New Testament. And so obviously they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. There's really a lot of evidence to show that he was the Messiah. <clears throat> I think that where people get confused and the Jews get confused is that, and he said in that video, and, and rightly so, that the Jews expected a political leader. And you can see that in Luke chapter 1. They expected a political leader that was going to come in power. Well, if you look at it in Luke chapter 1, they expected a prince who was going to come and deliver them from their, from their enemies. That's what their mindset was. But remember, there were three different people that were prophesied to come. And you can see it throughout the Gospels. There was that prophet, that last prophet that was going to come to Israel. You see that in Deuteronomy chapter 18. There was the suffering servant of Jehovah that was going to come. You see it in Isaiah chapter 53. What they didn't realize was that all three of those people were embodied in the same person. The Messiah, the suffering servant of Jehovah, and the last prophet. And so they they missed it. And there was much evidence to show that he was who he said he was. They just weren't watching. So we'll see it here where he proclaims that he is God. He makes no bones about the fact that he said that he's God. Here's the problem today. And a lot of your people, they try to get an out on it by saying, well, Jesus, he was just a good man. Well, that's not an option. (laughs) That's not the option there. Wrong answer. Uh, Open the trap door. (laughs) You You don't get brownie points by saying he was a good man. He claimed to be God. Now, if you don't believe that, then you're saying that he was a liar. Because it's very clear that he claimed that he was God. And if he wasn't God, then none of the other stuff that comes after it really matters. Right? And so let's look at some of that. Um, When you look at, for example, we left off, we were at um, page 8 and we were at uh, E2. That others thought that he made the claim to be God. And we we were here before in John chapter 8. But I always like going to John chapter 8. This is one of my, I don't know, I just... The way that my mind works is one of my favorite chapters because of how God is able to deal, the Lord is able to deal with the Jews here as they were attacking him. And notice in John chapter 8, <clears throat> they go back and forth, and uh, in verse 52, the Jews then said to Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead in the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death. Are thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets that are dead? Who maketh thy thyself? And just here, I, again, I want to you know, put in a disclaimer, uh, because we're looking at it on the backside of it, looking back at it, 
The Jews are looking at this, and again, he's not revealing his outward manifestation of glory, so there's no light shining, right, that's accompanying him. All they're looking at with their eyes is all they see is a man. That's what they're looking at. And the only thing that would cause you to be able to see anything different, remember, we saw it last week, is in John chapter 6, that the Father opened the eyes of those who he, who, and I would say were elect, to be able to see that he was more than a man. And one of the mechanisms that he used to show that he was more than a man were the sign miracles. But I can show you that the sign miracles were only for the elect. Because other people saw those sign miracles and they didn't believe. And so the father had to open your eyes to even see that that miracle was pointing to it something that, it, that he was God. You see. Because he did miracles. Not everybody who saw the miracles believed. Remember when he, when he uh, opened the eyes of the blind man in chapter 9? Did those guys believe? No, they tried to castigate the blind man. And so just the miracles did not necessarily in and of themselves lead to salvation. But they were responsible for it because it was pointing to something. So just remember when you're reading here, like in these contexts, remember in their reckoning, in their mind, they're not looking at somebody who is, has a light shining around them or he looked like God. They, in their mind, were just looking at a man. That's what they're thinking here. And this is why they can talk to him the way that they did. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead in the prophets. And thou says, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets that are dead? Who maketh thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say that I know him not, I shall make my I shall be a liar like unto you. Oh boy. <laughs> But I know him, and I keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now here's what gets their goat. So he's saying, Abraham, and you go back to Genesis 18, it's what he's making reference to, rejoiced to see his day. They understood what he was talking about, that he was back there with Abraham. Now, if I told you I was back there with my great-grandfather, you probably would think I was nuts, right? <laughs> but he can say this because it was true. And so they understood this. Now, notice their response. Verse 57, then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Now he's going to take it one step further. Okay, I can do better than that. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I've been continually existing. And they said, oh, well, sorry, we, we made a mistake here, right? Notice what they say, then took up their stones to cast at him, and Jesus hid himself. Why? They understood he was making the claim that he was God. Now notice in, Genesis, in uh, John chapter 10, you see a similar thing in verse 31 and 33. John chapter 10, <clears throat> now he's talking again to the Jews, 
And he, notice we'll pick it up in verse 22. And it was at the Jerusalem at the feast of the dedication. And it was winter and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long do thou make us doubt? If thou be the Christ, the, really they're looking at the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, answered them, I told you, and you believe me not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not. See, they don't believe. Even though they saw the works, they saw the miracles, they still didn't believe. He fed the 5,000, he fed the 4,000, he did all of these miracles, yet they still would not believe. And so people say, well, show me a miracle. Miracles will not necessarily lead to people believing. If it did, then many of the disciples that left him in John 6 would have never left him. You see, it's more than that. It's during that time, the father opening people's eyes to be able to see it. And today it's the Holy Spirit being able to open the eyes of people to see it. And so notice in verse 24 then, uh, and verse uh, 26, but you believe not because you are not my sheep. Now, you know, would you say that to an unsaved person today? Yeah, you don't believe because you're unsaved. That's what it is. <laughs> I don't know. And, I, and as I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. You just saw that Courtney was talking about that in the last class about how we get eternal life as a result of our relationship with the son. And notice this and remember, just as a note, eternal life was not possible during Christ's earthly ministry. Again, I will tell you, not one of these saints had eternal life during Christ's earthly ministry. Not one. Okay. You forced me to do it. Hold your finger there and let's turn over to Mark chapter 10. I saw the stare you guys were giving me. I don't believe that. Okay, well, I'm, I'll prove it to you. Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and let's see. So they were looking to get eternal life. And the Jews, you can go back to Daniel chapter 12, are looking to get eternal life in the future. But those who believed during Christ's earthly ministry... Here's the point. Those who believed during Christ's earthly ministry were transitioned into the church and they got eternal life after Pentecost. And let me show you the proof, the proof of that. Look at Mark chapter 10 and we'll look at verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I, uh, verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or brethren or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but that he shall receive a hundredfold now and this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. And remember, notice here, when they were following Christ doing his earthly ministry, they actually literally left everything and followed him. They weren't following him in their mind. They weren't just thinking, oh, I'm following you. Jesus, I'm following you. They left everything and followed him. That was their cross that they had to bear. And so notice they left everything. Well, why would they receive everything that they left? He's telling them they're going to get it back. And notice he says, lands and with persecutions and notice, seeing the world to come, 
There's a very unfortunate translation there. It's really in the age to come. In the age to come. Well, when, in the, when is that age? Well, Galatians 1.4 tells us that age has arrived. And it's called the present evil age. And so in this age that we're in now, they would get what? Eternal life. So Daniel 12 tells us that the Old Testament saints will not get eternal life until the end of the tribulation period when the Jews are resurrected to go to the millennial kingdom. Those today are these that were saved and followed the Lord during his earthly ministry got eternal life when the church began. You and I today and anyone that believes get eternal life at the moment that you believe. And how do we get eternal life? Because the son indwells us. And you see that in 1 John 5.11. And so when you go back to John 10, and the son is talking about this, and he says in verse 28, I give unto them eternal life, <clears throat> and they shall not perish, shall never perish, and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I just think that this is one of the greatest verses for eternal life, or for um, eternal security. Nobody's going to be able to take you away from the Lord. You, can't, you don't have the power yourself, much less anyone else. My father, which is, gave them to me, is greater than all, and no man is able. They don't have the ability to pluck them out of my, of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Really, I and my father are one thing. Verse 31, the Jews understood what he was saying here. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works. Have I showed you from my father, for which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou being a man, maketh thyself what? God. They understood that he was saying he was God. This was not in doubt. They understood that. And so people who read back into this, these people who say, oh, he says he was a good man. No, he said he was more than a good man. And you can see this in a lot of places. You can see it in John chapter 5. They tried to stone him again because they said he was making himself to be God. The Jews understood who he was. They knew what he was, what, what he was claiming, claiming to be. So there's, there's no doubt about this at all. And so you have a lot of people who have revisionism and they want to come back to Scripture and try to make this look like something that it's not. And so notice in John chapter 20 and verse 28 that there were others that proclaimed that he was God. John chapter 20, and we see Thomas makes his proclamation as he encounters him. Verse 26, and after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas was with them. And they came, then came Jesus and the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you or peace is unto you. Then said he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faith, faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Now why would Thomas say that? Well, we say a lot of words that don't mean, don't mean anything, right? We just have a lot of empty words that we use in America. But these are not empty words that are used in Scripture. He actually saw him as God. Um, then you see the fact of his deity was clearly seen in his activities. He could know the thoughts of men. Look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 4. Now, if you can know the thoughts of people, let's do this. We can get you a website and we can get people calling in 
And you could just tell them what they're thinking, and we could make a lot of money. Wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it, couldn't you do that? And you probably would live a miserable life if you knew the thoughts of everyone. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think I, in this, on this side of uh, the rapture, would want to know the thoughts of people. It would be a lot of responsibility, I would imagine. And so notice the Lord was able to know the thoughts. And so notice in uh, Matthew chapter 9, and notice in verse 1, And he entered into the ship, and he passed by on the other uh, over, and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, laying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing the faith, their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy, faith, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said uh, within themselves. And so they're reasoning within themselves. They're thinking as they're watching him. They're not saying anything out loud. They're just sitting there thinking as they watch this. This is what they came to the conclusion of. This man blasphemes. <laughs> this is what they're thinking. And Jesus, knowing their what? Thoughts. So this word for thoughts is a different word. You have a lot of thought words and mind terms in the scriptures, but this one means it looks at the point in your mind when you're pondering things. And so you're contemplating and considering what you're seeing or what's something that's going on. And so they're watching what's going on and they're sitting there thinking, this man is blaspheming by saying what he says. And so Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, wherefore think you evil in your hearts? For whether it's easier to say this, thy sins be forgiven thee or say arise and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then said he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. And he arose, and he departed into his house. And so, I mean, this was, they saw that as blasphemy, because again, they saw him as just a man. The Jews saw him as just a man. They did not see him as God. None of the miracles, remember when Nicodemus came to him, and we saw this in John chapter 3, um, Nicodemus came, and he was really insulting to the Lord. He says, we know you are a teacher come from God, not the teacher, a teacher come from God. But no one could do these miracles. OK, we'll give you credit for that. But they didn't believe. They saw that he did the miracles. But they still didn't believe it. And so uh, you see it again. Uh, let's see. He could see uh, events without having to be in the place uh, where the events occurred. Notice in John chapter one, you see this with Nathaniel. And it's just blew Nathaniel's mind when he said it to him <clears throat> in John chapter 1. And let's pick it up in verse, uh, verse 47. Or start with verse 43. <clears throat> the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and finds Philip and says unto him, Follow me. But Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip finds Nathanael and says unto him, We have found... Now notice what he says here. Again, read the scripture with discerning minds. Don't try to read stuff into it. Just let it say what it says. And this is one of the real problems in Christianity today. People come to scriptures and they want to read into it what they want it to say. Now what does he actually say here? Philip finds Nathanael, and he says unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And in verse 46, Nathanael says unto him, Can uh, there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now, you can insert Titusville here today, because I think that's what people say about Titusville. <laughs> and Philip said unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming uh, to him, and he said unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Now, this is an amazing thing that the Lord says about Nathanael. You know this word for guile, and you see a lot of people, there are people who are very deceitful, right? And you can see it in them. They're always conniving, trying to do something or trying to work a way around to try to get one up on someone. And he says, behold, an Israelite in which there is no deceit. And Nathanael said unto him, whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, before thy, that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. So Nathanael said, what? How could you have seen me when I was under the fig tree? Can you see somebody in a different place? I didn't see Scott when he was at work. <laughs> I think, boy, you could make a lot of money off of that if you could do that, right? <laughs> and so Nathaniel understands this and notice his response here in verse 49. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. And notice what Nathaniel saw. Then thou art the king. And notice who he says king is related to? Israel. You don't see him saying the king of the church. And you will never see him saying the king of the church. And he is not the king of the church. Please don't say that. That's a heresy. He's the king of Israel. And he's going to be the king of Israel in the future. In the millennial kingdom, he was never said to be the king of the church. And so here the king of Israel. And you see, Nathaniel saw who he was because of his ability to be able to see, um, uh, be omniscient and to know all. No one, notice it in John 10, 17 through 18, you'll see what he, what he says here. Now, he's going to make a statement that I don't think people could make. So he's going to say here that nobody can take my life. Raise your hand if you could say that that's true of you. Anybody here that can say that? No man takes my life? I give it? No, no human being could say that. You don't have control over your life. But the Lord could, because he's God. And so notice in um, John chapter 10 and verse 17. Well, to start, if you would, in verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now I think this is probably a preview into the future of this dispensation. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no man takes it from me. You know what this tells me? They could not have killed him unless he would have loved it. Remember what he says? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He dismissed his own spirit. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Now notice that word for power is actually the word exousia. I have the authority. 
So he says, I have the authority to lay down my life and there's no one else who has the authority to lay down their life. So you take your own life. Who gave you the authority to take your life? No man has that authority to do that. He says, I was given that authority from the father to lay it down. And I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my father. Now, there's no human being that could make that statement. And so you can see that uh, other evidence that he's deity. Now, notice he revealed his glory that was veiled in his human flesh. Um, you see this um, in Matthew chapter 17. He was able to uh, peel back his human flesh or actually to allow that glory to shine through. Uh, as he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was something that really had an effect on Peter because he wrote about it um, in his uh, epistle. Now notice he takes the Peter, James, and John up to the mountain and he gives them a preview of what's going to happen in the kingdom. And he was transfigured right before them. And that word transfigured is to, you have that morphe word, which is the idea of to show something outwardly that you are inwardly. Um, what for transfigured has that ideal to it. Now notice in verse one, and after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James and John, his brethren, he brings them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was as white as light. Now, sometimes you see an event and sometimes it's better than just not to say anything. But Peter, he liked to talk. <laughs> and sometimes you could talk and you just say things that you just probably should have just not said anything. <laughs> and so, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And so some people believe that because Moses and Elijah are here, that Moses and Elijah are going to be the two witnesses in uh, the book of Revelation. But, I mean, maybe so, maybe not. Uh, but... That's a uh, that's the scuttlebutt around who those two witnesses are going to be. Verse four, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And so you see this, um, there's many proofs in the Gospels that Christ was God. That he was God. And I, and I think this is essential. And so one of the things that, that I think that is key to the virgin birth is the fact that he was not born of a human father. He was born of a divine father by the Holy Spirit. And so he was not a mere man. He was God. And it's interesting when you see a lot of these people like the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormon, they all accent to the fact that he was a good man. Well, that doesn't mean anything. It's, you know, it's, there's a lot of good men. But he, that's not what he's, the point that he's making here. The point is that he's got. Let me show you one more. And I think I can find it in John chapter 5. Um. In John chapter 5, there was another place where he was um, talking about the fact that he was God. And notice it's uh, in verse 14. <clears throat> we'll start there. John chapter 5 and verse 14. Afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and he says to him, he's talking about the guy that he healed at the, uh, the pool. Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. 
And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. And when you think about that, so he heals a man. <laughs> Does this make any sense to you? It shows you what happens with blind people. He heals a man who had been lame from birth. And he says, well, you did it on the Sabbath. <laughs> Does this make any sense? It shows you what happens when people are blind. And so notice verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father works hitherto and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said he also that God was his father, making himself what? Equal with God. There is no doubt in the Gospels, but that Christ said that he was God and he proved it. And so anybody who doubts that is living in some kind of fantasy land and they're not reading the same Bible that we're reading. And so when you look at the purpose of why Christ came, there's several things that we want to look at that scripture outlines as the reason for why he took on a human body. And so in the father's plan and purposes, one of the uh, several reasons as to why the son had to come and take on a human body. And so let's look at some of those. And so we gave two primary purposes up here. He was born to the nation of Israel, and, um, and it was for um, the kingdom from the heavens uh, as king and the kingdom from, from God as savior. Now, Courtney was talking about this in the last hour a little bit, and I just want to show you something here. And a lot of people are confused by this. <clears throat> and so you have a lot of people who want to conflate the kingdom of God and the kingdom from the heavens, and they say it's the same thing. Well, then, if the kingdom of God and the kingdom from the heavens is the same thing, then I guess you could say that the Catholic Church and this church is the same thing, right? So don't look, and one of the things, one of the best hermeneutical principles is this. Don't look at what's similar. Look at what's different. And what is happening in in hermeneutics and in Bible interpretation today is people look at similarity and they, they come to the conclusion it's the same, you see. Look at what's different and you'll come you'll come to the truth of scripture. And so you have the kingdom from the heavens is going along like this. And it's to Israel. So here the son you can see in Matthew four is preaching the kingdom from the heavens and then. And I think here he started preaching the kingdom from God even before John was put into prison. And he was preaching also the kingdom from God. We can prove this from scripture. So the kingdom from God is dealing with salvation, as Courtney rightly said. And it actually goes even back into the Old Testament. Right? So the kingdom from God goes from the Old Testament and even goes into the future. Right? Because it's dealing with all people of all time that are saved. Right? So here Christ comes. He's preaching the kingdom from God here. And then John is put into prison. You can see this in Mark 1.14. And then it says here that Christ, from this point, he kept on preaching. The kingdom from God. And you can see back over in Acts 13 that uh, Peter references that, that that message that Christ was preaching 
was related to what he was talking about to the Gentiles and going forward. And it's the kingdom from God is regarding salvation, right? It's not complicated when you just let scripture say what it says. It becomes complicated when people want to read into scripture what they want it to say. <clears throat> it's not really complicated at all. <clears throat> and so notice Christ took on human flesh. Now let's look at some of these purposes for why he took on a human body. Christ took on human flesh for the purpose of becoming king of the Jews. And so notice you'll see this in John chapter 18, verse 37. Christ's birth fulfilled the promise made in the Davidic covenant that one of David's seed would establish his kingdom into an age. And so let's look at John chapter 18 and verse 37. Well, let's go back into the Old Testament first. And we'll look at the one of uh, 1 Samuel um, 7.16. 1 Samuel 7.16. And there was a prophecy made that one out of David's throne, um, and that's why those genealogies are important, particularly the one in Matthew, because it's showing his right to sit on the throne, right? And so he goes back and he shows his genealogy and how it goes back into the line of him um, uh, having the right to sit on the throne. So now in 1 Samuel, what did I say? 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. <laughs> Yeah, that. <laughs> Second Samuel. Second Samuel seven verse sixteen. I try to keep you guys on your toes. <laughs> okay. Um, and so notice in verse uh, we'll pick it up in verse um, eleven. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have ceased thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord tells thee that he will make thee a house. And when thy days, days uh, be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set uh, up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I would establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Now, I think here initially he's talking about Solomon in this one. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Now, I think here he's pointing toward the, the Messiah. And I will be his father and he shall be my son and I will commit. And, and if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with a rod of men and with the stripes of children of men. But with my mercy shall not depart away from him. And I took it uh, from Saul, who I put away from thee and thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever. Or really into an age before thee, thy throne shall be established According to all these words and according to the vision, so uh, did Nathan speak unto David. And so this prophecy that uh, one was going to sit on David's throne, uh, starting with Solomon and then on into and, um, the future. And so Christ fulfilled this. Notice in John chapter 18. And, and Well, let's look at Luke before we go to John. Luke 1 and verse 31 through 32. It's all good. What, how do you even decide, right? <laughs> Where do you even decide to go? Luke, cha Luke chapter 1 <clears throat> and verse 32. And it connects what we just read there in, in 2 Samuel with the prophecy uh, as the angel appears to um, um, Mary. And so notice um, verse, uh, we're picking up in verse uh, 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name. What? Jesus. And you go back and we can just tell you what Jesus means in uh, Matthew 1, 21. 
for he shall save his people from their sins. And I, and I would just invite you to do a word study as you go back into the epistles now and you take that name Jesus and study it. You'll see that it, it actually appears by itself less and less. And the handful of times that it appears, he, the writers are giving you information about his earthly ministry. He's not telling you to live like he did during his earthly ministry. And that is a huge point. And so notice uh, in verse 32, and he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, who? David, right? Connection. I don't even have to guess. No allegorizing. We're just looking at scripture, comparing it with scripture, right? And so, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob uh, for uh, really is into an age and his kingdom shall be no end. Now, what does he mean when he said his kingdom shall be no end? Every kingdom that has occurred on the face of this earth has been torn down. His will not be, you see. His will not come to an abrupt end like that. And so notice if you look over at John chapter 18, this is one of the, you know, again, I have this crazy humor, but I just like when the Lord just put people in their place. And I think that he put Pilate in his place <laughs> in John chapter 18. And notice uh, John chapter 18 and notice in verse, um, we'll pick it up at verse um, 32. Uh, excuse me, 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and he called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Notice Pilate is not saying anything about, are you over the church? You don't even see any of that mentioned. And I do not know where we got this from in the church, that we read the church back into the Gospels. You know what you would have to do to read the church into the Gospels? You would have to allegorize. You would have to take it out of context and you would have to read into the context what you wanted to say. You will not find that in the Gospels. And so notice, what does Pilate say? Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered him saying, Thou this thing of thyself, or excuse me, said thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and thy chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Now he says something very important here. And you really, you, you translate this, you see, he says, My kingdom is not out from this world as the source. It is not originating from this world, is what he's saying. And, you know, the kingdoms from this world, they have mechanisms of how they war. They use people and they fight. He says, I, I don't need that. My kingdom is not out from this world. And so notice he says, um, if my kingdom were of this world, if my kingdom were out from this world, and it's not, this is it's a second class condition here. If my kingdom were out from this world and it's not, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But I am. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And Pilate said unto him, Art thou a king then? And uh, hold on one second here. And Pilate said, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, that thou, say, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world 
that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And here's Pilate's cynicism. And you can see it with the unsaved people today. Pilate said unto him, what is truth? <laughs> what is truth? Yeah, I don't mean anything. And when he had said this, he went and cut, uh, cut again to the Jews and said unto them, I find no fault at all. Find in him no fault at all. And uh, it was just interesting. Uh, in this, I wanted to put it, it's actually in verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 11. Uh, I just love when the Lord says, talks to Pilate this way. Verse 10, then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knoweth uh, thou not that I have the power to crucify thee, or the power to release thee? Really, he says, don't you know I have the authority to, to release you or not? And notice what the Lord says, verse 11. Jesus answered, Thou could have no authority at all against me, except it were given to thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee has the greater sin. I wonder what Pilate thought when he said that. It just yanked the, this sanctimonious statement right out of, off of his tongue. You don't have any authority except for what's been given to you. And so what did he come for? He came for the purpose of presenting himself as king. And what did Pilate write over the uh, head of the cross? Hail Jesus, king of the church. Oops, king of the Jews. Right? And the Jews understood what he was saying. What did they say? Don't write that he's king of the Jews. Write that he said he's king of the Jews. We have only one king, Caesar. And that proves that they rejected him as king. They rejected him as king. And so what are the other purposes? Notice the son came to take on human flesh to save Israel from their sins. And so you can see it in Matthew chapter 121. We referenced it, but we didn't go there in Matthew 121. The whole purpose of his name, Jesus, actually deals with that. In verse 121 of Matthew, And he shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so who was his people? Israel. Oh, that the church would get this right. Israel was God's people during the Gospels. The church is God's people today. And the church is comprised of Jew and Gentile. Israel has been set aside and God will not take up with them again until the rapture. And so Israel has been pronounced, as uh, was said in the Old Testament, Lorami, not my people. Now, I didn't say that, so don't get mad at me. I know a lot of people have a lot of superstition, a lot of religious superstition going about that. But that's not the case today. And so the son took on human flesh to save Israel from their sins. Uh, the son took on human flesh to save sinners. Notice you see in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul writes to Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so Paul saw himself as being the worst of sinners. Now, sometimes when we think about that, we probably think, oh, Paul's just going around doing all kinds of sins. No. How many times do you have to sin to be a sinner? Just once. How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? 
just once, right? And so Paul saw himself, and he saw the fact that, you know, even in Christ, as he lives in his position in Christ, as I live there, man, all kinds of things are possible, but I'm still a sinner. I'm still capable of sinning. And so notice he says, Christ came into the world to save sinners. The son took on human, um, the son took on, uh, became a man in order to provide light to the world. Notice in um, John chapter 12 and verse 46. So if you didn't understand it, the world is in darkness. And I know we understand that intuitively, but sometimes we see things and we still have hope that unsaved people are going to act right. Right. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, expectations that you have of your cat. Right. That maybe your cat's going to act right and he's not going to he's going to go to the litter box every time. Right. You know, and maybe your cat does that, but there are cats that don't. Right. Uh, but we have this view of the unsafe man that they're going to act right. And really. I used to watch David Letterman's stupid pet tricks and you can see pets do some amazing things. But those are anomalies. <laughs> those are anomalies. And so unsafe men are not going to act right. We're in a dark world. And so what is this darkness? It's actually this present darkness in which Satan is really over in the ruler over this darkness. And it's the sun that is providing light in that darkness. And so notice you see that um, in John twelve forty six. Uh, <clears throat> Start with verse 44. Jesus cried and said, he that believes on me, believes not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me sees him that sent me. I am come a light unto the world that whosoever believes on me should not abide in. And really, it's um, in that verse there in verse 46. He should not abide in the darkness. So why is that different? Because. He's looking at the fact there's an organized system of darkness of which Satan is ruling over. And so this system is organized. It's not helter-skelter. This is not an accident, some of the things that happen. It is an organized system of darkness. And so he says, I've come that they, they, they might, that uh, a light into the world, that word light, again, you, I would reference it back to John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was light. You can just see the correlation all throughout the New Testament. Life is light. Life is light. And what does that mean? When they saw the sun and his life in activity, they saw something that had never been seen in a human body before. God's kind of life in activity. And that's in contrast to this darkness that we're in. And you can see that even again today with us as believers today, when we are spiritual, we can manifest a life that is in contrast to the darkness in the world. And that's what should be happening. And so the son became a man to provide light to the world. The son became a man in order that believers might live through him. Notice in 1 John 4, 9. 1 John 4, 9. Well, John wrote the epistle to the Ephesians because of the fact that there was a lot of teachers in the church that were teaching things that weren't true. A lot of Gnostics who didn't believe that Christ came in a human body. And so there was a lot of bad doctrine that was going on in the church. 
And so he writes this in verse 9, and we'll pick it up um, in verse of uh, We'll pick it up in verse um, 3. And every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, uh, that, that confesses not, I'm sorry, that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, or not out from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, if you want to call somebody Antichrist, it's the people like the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses. They are rightly called Antichrist. You never see the man that's coming in the future called Antichrist. He's never called that at all. But these people, the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons, they don't believe that God came in the flesh. They're Antichrist. And so notice he says, Wherefore you've heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. You are, God, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, or they are out from the world. You want to know why you can say things to people and they think that you're nuts and they don't listen to you? He's telling you right here. They are out from the world, therefore they speak out from the world. And notice what happens. And the world hears them. You ever heard of, uh, some people have the little dog whistle, right? That only dogs can hear. Have you ever wondered why unsafe people can all agree and they feel comfortable with each other, but they don't feel comfortable with you? Because you're not speaking out from the world. And they are. And so they're in complete agreement with each other. And so, um, and notice, he, we keep reading down here through verse 9. We are, uh, really, we are, see those ofs? I would really translate each one of those ofs because it's really strong. We are out from God. God is the source of where we originated, is what he's saying. You don't get that with of, right? We are out from God. He that knoweth God hears us. He that is not out from God hears not, not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is out from God, and everyone that loves is born out from God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this thing, or by this thing, was manifested the love of God toward us, because God sent his only begotten son, or really I would say his unique kind of son into the world, that we might live, or really conduct our life, where? Through him. As we live in our position in Christ, and it activates the eternal life in us, our life can be seen out through that relationship with the Son. Possible for every believer. And that's one of the reasons that he came into the world. And we'll see more when we pick up at verse, um, page 11 next week.